that God existed before there was a starting point. Okay? And without calling and without God calling everything into existence, nothing would have existed. So when we talk about this, we're not arguing God's existence. We're not arguing um, God's creation out of nothing. What we are talking about is, you know, if Genesis 1 should be understood as history. Now, Christians are not debating if God created, but the veracity of the text in communicating the event, okay? And what that means is how truthful is the event when you're reading through Genesis 1? How how truthful is that? Now, because of sin, uh, sin has caused us to read Genesis 1 in such a way that we try to apprehend our understanding of the universe instead of the creator of the universe, We tend to ignore God's desire for us to understand him while separating ourselves from each other. The church has accomplished this by focusing on secondary aspects of written revelation regarding creation. All right. In this podcast, we're going to focus on two of the most common divisions within the creation debate and their implications. Oh, sorry. Bumped the microphone there. Um, And those two are either a literal understanding or an accommodation understanding. Now, the main focus on the time constructs of Genesis 1 has caused a polarization within the church. Christians who want to remain faithful to the wording in Genesis 1 advocate for a literal six days of creation or 144 hours, okay, regardless of natural science discoveries. Christians who are willing to accommodate the natural sciences do so by harmonizing general and special revelation. So that's what I mean by a literalist or an accommodation understanding. So for the literalist point of view, the six literal days understanding, okay, the 144 hour understanding, uh, the need for articulating the meaning of the word day is to combat two differing views while establishing the plain meaning. The view of an instantaneous account of creation was prevalent enough to justify its mentioning during the 6th century. Okay, now, John Calvin addresses this concern in his commentary on Genesis. And just to uh, say that again, people were saying that six literal days or 144 hours is unnecessary because God instantaneously created everything. Not uh, over, it didn't take him a period of time. He did it all at once. He's God. Okay, so that's the first starting point Okay, that, that we have here. So John Calvin wrote in his commentary, let us rather conclude that God himself took the space of six days for the purpose of accommodating his work to the capacity of men. We slightly pass over the infinite glory of God, which here shines forth, whence arises but from our excessive dullness in considering his greatness. In the meantime, the vanity of our minds carries us away elsewhere. For the creation of this fault, God applied the most suitable remedy when he distributed the creation of the world into successive portions, that he might fix our attention and compel us, as if he had laid his hand upon us, to pause and to reflect. 
Now, the Reformer's response is shared by Martin Luther because of hermeneutical importance rather than from the natural sciences. This error will lead to the allegorizing of Scripture, which strips the intent of the passage in favor of the imagination of the interpreter. Terence E. Freitham writes, The Genesis days were interpreted in an allegorical way by such figures as Origen and Augustine, while Martin Luther defended a literal interpretation of Genesis 1. Quote, We assert that Moses spoke in the literal sense, not allegorically or figuratively, i.e., that the world, with all its creatures, was created in six days, as the words read. There is no reason to interpret the word day symbolically when all other words around it are literal. Trees are trees, animals are animals, water is water, and days are in fact days. In fact, the connection with the Sabbath, right now, I'm sorry, I'm, I'm kind of proofreading as I go through and I'm making sure, okay, now it's all one thing. Um, okay. So, trees are trees, days are days, water is water. The, in fact, connection with the Sabbath suggests that the significance of the days depend upon their literal reference. Words carry connotations for a reason, and we should respect the words that God has chosen in Scripture. The Westminster Confession states in chapter 4, It pleased God, the Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, for the manifestation of the glory of His eternal power, wisdom, and goodness in the beginning to create or to make of nothing the world and all the things therein, whether visible or invisible, in the place of six days, and all very good. The implication of the confession is to confess that God has created in time, in the time frame of six days. What we are, what we are to do if the literal understanding is not the conveyed meaning? I, I said that all wrong. That was a sloppy sound. I'll cut that out later. What are we to do if the literal understanding is not the conveyed meaning? God created everything, and because of this, his truth is in creation. If God's general revelation through nature challenges our notion on what the Bible says, then are we to pit God's word against his creation? Frytham suggests that an accommodationist understanding, if, quote, one has a view of the Bible that insists that all information in it, of whatever sort, has to correspond with reality. Unquote. The problem that exists when adopting a six-day understanding becomes evident when questioned on the contents of each day. The amount of time allotted for Adam to name all the animals before Eve was created would conceivably be longer than a single day. Quote, so the man named all the animals, the birds of the air, and the living creatures of the field. But for Adam, no companion who, was, who corresponded to him was found. Unquote. Genesis 2.20 If we are to take the words by their literal meaning, then the connotation of all needs to be accepted as well. Clyde McCone writes, The climax of this error when addressed to biblical origins was reached when Lightfoot of Cambridge University calculated the creation occurred on October 23rd, 4004 BC at 9 o'clock in the morning. Unquote. 
Those who advocate for 144 hours of creation do not advocate for the 72 hours that Christ needed to be in the grave, 1 Corinthians 15.4. By this method of calculation, for Jesus to have risen on Sunday morning, he would have to have been entombed by Thursday morning no later than 6.18 a.m. The crucifixion would have needed to occur Wednesday night and the Passover meal to have been eaten on Tuesday evening. The only time this may have happened was on March 27th, 31 AD. While the most common year accepted for Christ's crucifixion is either 30 AD, which puts Passover on a Thursday, or 33 AD, which puts Passover on a Friday. No one is seriously arguing for the Lord's Supper having been instituted on a Tuesday evening. Accommodation is used elsewhere in the Bible when deciphering the meaning of a day. In like manner, an overly literalistic approach diminishes the time of creation to less than the allotted 144 hours. God would be required to create each day without rest. Scripture tells us that God rested each day with the refrain, there was evening and there was morning, implying the end of a workday. Vern S. Poitras explores this idea in his article, Time in Genesis 1. Quote, a day is first of all, in the terms of prominence, a cycle of work and rest. He rests at the end of each day and then celebrates a big rest on the seventh day. A day is a cycle of work and rest, unquote. Does this raise the possibility that God only works during the day? Are the days equal amounts of light and dark? Perhaps the argument should be framed around a 72-hour time span. Although, October 23rd, through the 29th has closer to 11 and a half hours of sunlight in Israel, give or take, which leaves about 69 hours for God to create. If accommodation can be allowed in these instances, why not for other theories as well? For accommodating, the more we learn about God's creation, the more we understand his revelation. To understand how a tree develops is not to strip God from the creation equation. Advancements in medical technology allow us to understand the physical details of human life from conception to death, but this does not threaten God's role as the primary source for our lives. The same is true when we observe the micro-world or the universe and desire to know God's handiwork better. SR Driver has observed the pattern of Genesis 1 as, quote, the first three days are days of preparation. The next three days are days of accomplishment. For example, day one goes with day four. Day one, light is created. Day four is the creation of luminaries as receptacles for the light, okay, to contain and to harness the light. Day two, creation of the waters above and below and in the air, okay? Day two goes with day five, the creation of fish and birds, that's why you have the creation of the waters. Day three and day six go together. Day three, dry land appears and the earth is covered with vegetation. Day six, the creation of animals and mankind. Recognizing a literary pattern allows the reader to look for meaning in the days and not the timing of the days. 
The figurative use of morning and evening by the writer shouldn't lead us to think he has a 24-hour period in mind. Aware indeed that the work of the creator could not be measured by human standards. The natural sciences continually show us how little we know of God's creative ways. Those white cliffs which rise up out of the sea consist mostly of the minute shells of marine organisms deposited at a rate of a few inches a century at the bottom of the ocean and afterwards by some great upheaval of the Earth's crust lifted high above the waves? The criticisms cosmology and geology have received from young Earth creationists are from the lack of specificity in the timing of their observations. Perhaps God created a mature Earth to look old. Old Earth creationists may wade into waters in which pinpointing where sin began and with whom it began becomes so muddy that scripture becomes a stumbling block. Writing on the subject of Adam as a plurality of humanity, George Kofelt states, quote, One must read into chapter one the idea that God created only one male and female human couple who then become the parents of the whole human race and, quote, Adamic race, unquote. Kerfield's view follows closely with theistic evolution in that original sin is, quote, original to the human condition, and so we are all sinners by choice, unquote. C.S. Lewis, in his book, The Problem of Pain, describes a theistic evolution that would work alongside Kufelt's understanding. Lewis uses the no-true-Scotsman argument, or the appeal to purity, so that bipedal hominids who lack a soul are not truly in the image of God, i.e. not fully human. Lewis says, For long centuries God perfected the animal form, which he has to become the vehicle of humanity and the image himself. God caused to descend upon this organism a new kind of consciousness, and in this sense, man was truly the son of God. We do not know how many of these creatures God made, nor how long they continued in the paradisal state, but sooner or later they fell." The numerous theological problems that arise from this line of reasoning are outside the scope of this podcast right now, although I would be remiss if I didn't include that there are numerous verses in the New Testament that speak of Adam and Eve as though they were real historical people. Um, We do need to be aware of the lengths that some people will go to accommodate Scripture to their worldviews. Some of those scriptures, just in case you're wondering, Matthew 19, 4 and 5, uh, Jesus referring to marriage, um, Luke 3, uh, 23 through 38 with uh, Luke's genealogy that goes back to a physical Adam, uh, Romans 5, 4, 1 Corinthians 15, 22, 1 Timothy um, 2, 13 to 14, just to name a couple there. So, so what are we looking at here? Creation or Creator. Accommodating language when transliterating between cultures is not a new or unusual practice. Even within the same culture, you have to accommodate language between regional dialects for the proper meaning to be conveyed. I've always found it humorous when someone outside of Western Pennsylvania arrives at Trinity School for Ministry and starts to implement the Greek language they are learning. 
the student will walk into a Greek restaurant and confidently and confidently order a gyro, which they regionally pronounce gyra, instead of receiving a mouth-watering pita filled with lamb meat. They receive a funny look. A gyro is what they desire, and if they would accommodate to the local dialect, that is what they would receive. Of course, this is not a perfect analogy, but the owner of the restaurant has a particular meaning associated with the words used within the establishment. By understanding the meaning, you can know the owner, and through him, you can experience what he has set before you. The wording of Genesis 1 is best understood as it was written contextually and not by the reader's assumption. Driver states that Genesis 1 describes, in accordance with the beliefs current among the Hebrews, that the process by which the earth assumed its present form and was adapted to become the habitation of man. We are to understand the author's use of days to be a literary form of, quote, not absolutely, but relatively, unquote, as the correct assumption of the culture. The reasoning behind the seeming lack of preciseness is because the creation is not the subject. God is the central focus. The primary message is that Yahweh is the only creator, and for people living among those who worship pagan gods, that is a contrasting claim. Dr. Byron Curtis, in his lecture, The Days of Creation 1, conveyed that the first chapter of Genesis demythologizes the paganism known in the world at that time. Joseph Lamb writes that, quote, all of this reinforces the supremacy of God in the Hebrew conception, unquote. Knowing him through what he does and has done is a chief characteristic for the God of the Bible. The starting point in Genesis is, in the beginning God created. These three Hebrew words tell us who we are going to know by what he is doing. We are learning about someone, not something. McCone writes that, quote, the days of Genesis 1, by the most literal reading, are days of creation and not days of time. So in conclusion, in exploring the idea of understanding Genesis 1 as history, we should be careful to understand first what we are evaluating. In this case, it is the Word of God, and it should be approached and respected as such. Too often we miss who God is by focusing on His creation. We are looking at a historical account of how God wants us to know Him and not an account of the history of the universe in relation to our preconceived notions. So, whenever you approach scripture. And I know that, you know, Genesis 1, a lot of a lot of stuff in Genesis is a stumbling block to a lot of people who are non-Christians. And if we can explain to them that this doesn't mean a literal understanding, a six literal days or or what have you. Um that there it's it's a certain type of genre, it's a certain type of of literature. Um, the, in the Old Testament, 33% of the entire Old Testament is um, poetry. All right? It's done in a poetic um, style. And honestly, that 33% is bigger than the entire New Testament. 
Okay, so we have bigger than a New Testament's worth of the Word of God that's in a poetic style to not allow it to speak in poetic type of imagery for us to understand God um, is doing a disservice to the Bible itself. It's misinterpreting it and, and misrepresenting God to people. And I know that there are lots of people, I, I mean, I, I debated on, you know, playing some uh, stuff from uh, Todd Friel, who is very much against, um, you know, the the whole old earth understanding or whatever. But again, um, you know, he, he goes into, you know, Yom actually means day and, you know, it means 24 hours and it's talking about a literal day, like day of the Lord and, you know, that sort of thing, which is a particular day and blah, blah, blah. But again, I think that he misses the point by arguing a... A, a, a time value, a, a numeric time value, well, that's not what it's talking about, okay? By saying that, you know, you do not respect Scripture, you do not respect the Word of God, or I'm going to question whether or not you're a Christian because, you know, uh, you don't hold to a literal, you know, 24-hour day period, of uh, of Genesis is like arguing over you know the the type of rock that was rolled in front of the tomb of Christ. You know, I I, you know, I talked to someone who you know, spent a lot of time in Jerusalem, and you know, she told me you know what kind it was, and I said, no, it wasn't. I I think it was granite. And she said, how could it be granite? I said, because people are always taking it for granted on what it was. But bumch. Okay. Um, anyways, uh, that that's kind of the point of this is that. That's such a side issue, okay? This is a side issue. How old is the universe? I don't know. The, the scripture doesn't tell us. What it tells us is that God created it, okay? I mean, he gave us the universe to explore. When people say, well, you know, God could have done it instantaneously. He could have created it to make it look old. I, I've actually heard this. actually heard this said at seminary one time by, by a student, not by a teacher, but by a student. And... God bless him. But he said that God made dinosaur bones and put them in the earth to test our faith. I kid you not. He was dead serious and he said that. No, I mean, what would stop the argument from actually God created everything right now? Right now. As you're listening to this podcast, you were just created with memories and experiences and, you know, the concept of things looking aged and weathered at the same time, things look new and brand new and things are still happening. That, I mean, it's just as plausible, but reality and what God has, has given us the general revelation of the world. Um, yeah. Science is there to tell us about that. I mean, if it wasn't for Christianity, you wouldn't have modern science. Because Christianity, Christianity um, posited the worldview that everything is not chaotic. Everything is in an ordered structure by a single creator. A theistic understanding is that there was a theistic creator who put things in place, which means there's a specific order. If there is an order to the universe, then you should be able to do the same thing over and over again and get the same result because there's an order. If there was no order, you could not get a repeatable test. So this repeatable test shows us, gives us evidence 
that there was a single creator. And all of modern science is based off of this, based off of this concept, based off of this theistic concept that is proving this concept true every single day within science. Okay, Abstract concepts like numbers are used in order to show that you know things can happen in a particular way that's order that's not chaos you don't get order from chaos you only get order from order you can get chaos from order you can scramble stuff oh you can screw it up so bad i mean that's possibility i look at you know the the effects of sin the effects of the fall but this point in scripture you do not want to do what some people do with end times understanding, with eschatology, okay, which is called newspaper eschatology, where they read the newspaper and then they read in the book of Revelation and say, see where it matches up. You don't want to be a left behind series person where you're studying Revelation and you have your copy left behind, you know, there to see where it matches up. Don't do that. This is the equivalent of doing that, okay? This is that bad of a Bible interpretive method, okay? Please don't do that. Hey, everyone. I want to thank you for listening to The Theology Pit. Please be sure to um, check me out on Facebook. Please be sure to you know continue donating. I, I appreciate the donations that have come in, even though I've been slacking on these podcasts. I'll make sure to get more out after the uh, semester's over. Um, and yeah, check me out at samsonstick.com. Um, I don't know if uh, anywhere else, but you can email me, Samson at samsonsick.com. And now it is definitely time to close down the pit. Thank you. Mm-hmm.